Today on Blue 58, an article in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel raises some questions about the Packers' organizational structure, but the better questions might be about the article itself. Let's discuss. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here on day five of an absolutely brutal cold. It is just no fun. And it feels like this is like three months late. I can understand feeling like you've, you've got a nasty head cold in the middle of like February or something, but it's middle of May. Come on. This is not quite fair. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry if I sound a little bit stuffy this time around, but uh, we are going to go through with this anyway. I, everything else is just fine. So we should be okay to uh, to do a podcast here. If I was having like the, the flu or something, maybe then. Maybe, maybe then we'd call it off. But... Not for just a cold. We'll be just fine. I want to talk today about the article that Tom Silverstein wrote in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel recently, talking about the Packers' new organizational structure. I think this is one of the great things about the offseason. You can take one topic and really just blow it up, look really in-depth at one specific thing. And as things work out today, that's going to be Tom Silverstein's article. I think this is a good time to talk about something like this. Um... For one reason, and and I guess it'll take a, a second to explain what that exact reason is. After we did our episode last week on Ted Thompson, his legacy, whatever he did in Green Bay, everything like that, a reader emailed me and was talking just about some of the different things he remembered from the, the Ted Thompson era. One of the things he mentioned was the, the not trade for Randy Moss. And what he was talking about was something completely different, but it reminded me of something interesting, an interesting feature of someone who's in charge for a long time. You can really look back and see a bunch of places in a particular era of, of management, whatever, where things could go a, a bunch of different ways. It's best when it could be one of two different ways, uh, two clear paths that they could take, and they took one of them. Drafting or not drafting Aaron Rodgers. Trading for or not trading for Randy Moss. Trading or not trading Brett Favre. You can do a whole ton of these with Ted Thompson. But those inflection points really get you to some interesting discussions. And I think right now, and I think why Tom Silverstein wrote the article that he did, is that we are at an inflection point for the Packers. We are in the midst of transitioning into the era of the fully realized Murphy realignment. This started about a little over a year ago when Ted Thompson moved into whatever role they're calling his role now. Retirement, stepping back from responsibilities, whatever. He's not the GM anymore. And in that process, Mark Murphy realigned the Packers organizational structure. And now... A year later, now that Brian Gutekunst has been in charge for a year, we've got a new GM, we've got a new head coach, we've got Russ Ball in whatever role he's in, and Mark Murphy presiding on top of all of it. He's got everything the way that he wants it. And really, we are fully into that Murphy realignment era now. So it's a good time to kind of take stock of our surroundings and see where we are. 
And Tom Silverstein seems like he has seen enough because he drops a column this week that basically blows up every one of Murphy's decisions to this point. I don't think this column is reporting. It's an opinion column dressed up to look like reporting. I think it's pretty clear that Silverstein had an agenda, a conclusion he wanted to reach with this piece, and he reached it. He used a bunch of anonymous sources to tell a story that he wanted to tell. And I don't think whether or not he had a story that he wanted to tell in particular is the point. And I don't think that's a bad thing per se, but it's also something we need to keep in mind as we look at this. And I think it's worth taking a a look at this article kind of point by point to see the story it tells before we talk about whether or not it was a bad thing that Silverstein, I think, decided the story he wanted to tell before he started to tell it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time proving the point that this is something that Silverstein believed ahead of time and built his reporting around that. Because I think if you followed his work, he's been a critic of this power structure for a while. And I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's the bad thing. But some of the evidence he presents that this is bad, that this power structure is bad, is I think flawed. I think some of it's not new. A lot of it's not new. And I think pretending that this is some objective voice from nowhere is a bit of a mischaracterization internally. Let's go point by point here. Starting right off the the bat with the headline. As presented on PackersNews.com, even though it's a Milwaukee Journal Sentinel piece, I realize that they're so aligned that it basically doesn't matter at this point. Headline is Silverstein. Critics of Mark Murphy's new Packers management structure say it could lead to dysfunction. Who are those critics, though? Well, we don't know that. Silverstein says it's not anybody from the Browns organization. He's clarified that point on Twitter. He did say who he spoke to without naming any names, though. Here's what it was in the story. Quote, current and former members of the organization, agents and friends for some of those employees, and people who do business with the Packers, nearly 20 in total, end quote. My question here is, did any of them say anything positive about the management structure? Because you wouldn't think so just from reading the story. And if so, what did they say? And if they did say anything, why wasn't it in the story? Did Silverstein try to find any opposing perspectives? That's a little bit concerning to me. Usually in stories like this, there's what you call a to-be-sure section. Like you'll list out all your uh, objections. I almost said exceptions. That's not really the point. Um, You'll list out all your objections. You'll list out all the criticisms of a particular viewpoint. But then you'll say, to be sure, and then you'll kind of walk a couple of those back. There's none of that really in here. The only thing that you get close to that is right at the end when he says, well, Matt LaFleur is going to have to implement his system now. We'll see what happens. Well, I guess we will. But there's no sense given in this piece that Silverstein even thinks it's a possibility. Then we get into a structure or a section about the structure itself. He says at the very beginning of the piece, An organizational chart that for 25 years spelled out the franchise's hierarchy in a clear and concise manner is gone. 
The president is still on top, but there is no single person in charge of football operation. No Ron Wolf or Ted Thompson to set the course and make sure everyone is working towards the same organizational goal. Okay. So what? Why is that a problem? You never tell us that. And isn't it Mark Murphy's job to set the tone of the whole organization? Mark Murphy says it is. Here's what he said in the Green Bay Press-Gazette on March 26th. Speaking about that ownership structure, that ownership structure. Whoa, there's a Freudian slip. This management structure. Quote, I know it's different from what we've done in the past, but from a business standpoint, most CEOs and presidents want the most important people in the organization reporting to them because that's going to determine the success of the organization. The most important important part of our organization is the football performance, end quote. Silverstein continues, The new structure, sources say, has allowed Murphy to be more involved in the football operation, resulting in him spending a lot more time on the coach's floor and in the locker room than he ever did. Just as important... It has elevated Russ Ball to a position of authority nearly equal to what Thompson's was, despite his being passed over for the general manager's job 17 months ago. Again, Silverstein just lays this out there. He doesn't say why it's bad. We're supposed to take this as a matter of course that these are bad things. Murphy has also said in the past that the organization was too siloed. Not enough communication between the coach and GM. That seems pretty clear. In retrospect, it doesn't seem like uh, Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy were on the same page. Even granting that where the Packers are now could be an overcorrection to that, wouldn't you rather have somebody facilitating too much conversation than not enough? He also touches on Russ Ball here. He says Russ Ball's role is now nearly equal to Ted Thompson. That is an utterly meaningless comparison. If he's not exactly equal to Thompson, it doesn't matter. Because Thompson's role was general manager. He was making the decisions on who was and who wasn't on the roster. If Ball's role is not that exactly, what does it matter how much power he has? As long as he and Brian Gutekunst are on the same page about those things, and Silverstein doesn't lay out any evidence that they aren't, what does it matter that his role is almost the same as Wolf's, or uh, as, as Thompson's? He also makes a big deal of Ball being in this role, quote, despite being passed over. Again, so what? Russ Ball is still with the organization. If he stayed, he's probably on board with the role that he has, right? We have a pretty good example of a guy who got an opportunity for a promotion that he didn't want and left. Elliot Wolf. He was in the running for general manager too. He didn't get it. He got offered a pretty significant bump by Brian Gutekunst. He said no, and now he's in Cleveland. He didn't want to be here. Russ Ball seems to have. Why are we trying to paint this like Russ Ball is not on board with what's going on? Continuing on, Silverstein writes, It was Murphy alone who chose to employ the new structure. He gave Gutekunst and Ball their titles and hired Lafleur. It is critical to the franchise's future, not to mention Murphy's, that the three men below him find a groove together. The team has not had three losing seasons in a row since 1988 through 80, or 86 through 88, and another sub-500 finish could have fans calling for a house cleaning. Let's talk about the second part of that paragraph first, starting with it's critical to the franchise's future, and then a bunch of information about the team's success. Duh. Everyone knows that. If you think that's news to Mark Murphy, to Brian Gutekunst, to Russ Ball, I mean, come on, dude. 
You're trying to raise the stakes in the article by just throwing a bunch of stuff out there. Everybody knows that this is a winner-get-out business. That's not news to Mark Murphy. The first claim, though, is a little bit more complicated to unpack, and it's only technically true. You can say, while not being wrong that it was Murphy alone who chose to employ the new structure, but he didn't just make it in a vacuum. It seems pretty clear that the Packers Executive Committee signed off on it. Quoting again, From that article from March 26th, the Green Bay Press-Gazette one, I think the organizational structure that Bob Harlan employed with Ron Wolf was good for that time and for those people, said Tom Olson, Packers Executive Committee member and lead director. And I think the structure with Ted Thompson worked very well. But you also have to remember, Mark has a pretty unique background. Certainly there is an organization chart and structure, and Mark's obviously at the top of that, Olson said. But in most cases, he's working with people to help them do their jobs. Quite frankly, if Mark had to spend a significant amount of time holding all those folks accountable, then we've got the wrong people in those positions. If you are constantly having to hold people accountable, that's not a good situation. That's not the case. We have the right people in those positions, end quote. Again, it doesn't seem fair at all to paint it as though Murphy is just out here doing all this completely on his own. He's not. And if you look at what Tom Olson says, this seems like a pretty fairly well understood organizational structure from the business, from just looking at the business of running a football team as a business. I know you've got the business side of the Packers and the football side of the Packers, but running the football side more like a business in that there's one person at the top and people below him reporting to that person at the top is not necessarily a bad thing. And Silverstein is just laying out all this stuff saying this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, without ever explaining why it's bad. Then we move on to the notebook clearing section of the article, where Silverstein appears to clear out a notebook of anecdotes on various people in the organization. He starts with Russ Ball. Quote, Ball worked hard to learn the personnel side of the game and even spent time in team meetings to get a feel for that part of the operation. He's managed the salary cap beautifully, has a good reputation among many agents with whom he negotiates, and has the experience of working for four different organizations. Thompson told his friends that Ball is a good man. But despite his anonymity outside the building, he is described as a polarizing figure by current and former associates. Agents who negotiate contracts with Ball call him fair and honorable. Others who have left the team say he is an organizational climber. He rubs people the wrong way and has a personal agenda that interferes with the cohesiveness between the different departments. To me, in this criticism or section whatever about Russ Ball, you've got two kinds of stuff. You've got the substantive stuff and the personality stuff. Substantive stuff, at least job performance stuff, maybe put it that way. He managed the cap beautifully. He had a good reputation. He's experienced and, you know, a little bit of a value judgment. He's a good man. Then you've got the personality stuff. He's a polarizing figure, whatever that means. He's an organizational climber. He rubs people the wrong way. He has a personal agenda. It seems like the substantive stuff all points to a guy who you'd want doing the job he's doing. While the personality stuff all seems like something someone with an axe to grind would say. And most of that, by Silverstein's own reporting, was coming from people outside the organization who have left for different jobs. Even if all that stuff is true, that he is a polarizing figure, that he's an organizational climber, that he rubs some people the wrong way, that he has a personal agenda, say all that's true. 
Who cares? I've worked with a lot of polarizing figures in a lot of different jobs. I've worked with people who are very clear organizational climbers. Some people even rub me the wrong way. But you know what? You can still work with those people. None of those things are necessarily bad. Someone who's an organizational climber has a clear motivation. And you know what you can do with people who have clear motivations? You can work with them really easily because you know what they want. Silverstein, again, is asking us to take this just as at face value of being bad. And bad just because he says so. He's never demonstrating why these things are bad. He's setting this up as a potential powder keg, but not explaining which of these elements are explosive. He continues, Murphy acknowledged that Ball has a tremendous amount of responsibility, much of what he had before. But he acknowledged that before the change, Ball had to clear every decision he made with Thompson before moving forward. Now, every football decision except team personnel goes through Ball's office, and multiple sources said he has Murphy's ear more than anyone else, creating an uneven dynamic in what was supposed to be an equal split of authority. Gutekunst has full say over the 53-man roster, but unlike Thompson and Wolf before him, he doesn't control the message inside and out of the building. First, is that really an uneven dynamic? If so, why? He doesn't demonstrate that. Second, Gutekunst doesn't control the message inside and outside the building, unlike Thompson. He controls the message inside and outside the building in a manner completely different from Thompson. No one controlled the message outside the building of Lombardi Field less than Ted Thompson in the history of the Green Bay Packers. No one has ever cared less about what people outside of the Packers organization have said about the Packers than Ted Thompson. Anything that Brian Gutekunst to attempt to does to control that message outside of the Packers is miles apart from Ted Thompson. I don't even know what he's trying to get at there. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. He continues with some criticism of Matt LaFleur. LaFleur didn't come in and say he was going to win a world championship like McCarthy did or bring a pair of Super Bowl rings with him like Holmgren did. From all indications, he doesn't have a forceful personality. He's also just 39 years old and will need to grow quickly into, into the position. What does that have to do with anything? He's three years younger than Mike McCarthy was when he got the Packers job. And so what? He didn't say we're going to come out here and win the world's championship like Mike McCarthy did. Here's what he did say, though. Quote, it's always been a dream of mine to be an NFL head coach, but to be the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, it is surreal, and I am extremely humbled. To follow in the footsteps of Vince Lombardi, Mike Holmgren, and Mike McCarthy, it's truly an honor. My philosophy is to lead, teach, and inspire not just our football players, but everyone in the building. We will be process-driven in our pursuit of bringing a Lombardi trophy back here to Green Bay. What else do you want, Tom? That's pretty good to me. Here's where Silverstein hits home a little bit. And I think this is where we start to get behind this piece a little bit more. He writes about the transition out of the Ted Thompson era like this. Quote, it wasn't that Thompson couldn't make well-reasoned decisions. It was that he was always available to make it, wasn't always available, excuse me, to make them because his work capacity had been reduced. Everything still ran through him. And while it was his style to let things play out rather than react too quickly, his inability to devote the same number of hours to the job slowed the operation. I think Tom is at his best here. And I think this kind of makes me wonder if he had to rework this piece overall because of a move the Packers made last week. 
the Packers did something, I think, very savvy. And if you're looking at this from a PR perspective, a marketing perspective, even just a cynical reader perspective, I think they knew that Silverstein's story was coming. And they tried to get out ahead of the Thompson Health story aspect or the Thompson Health aspect of this story. Because out of all the stuff in this piece, Silverstein probably devotes the most hard reporting to Silverstein or to Thompson's health and how the decline of his health led to changes internally and in how things operated. But the Packers kind of wrong-footed him a little bit by getting that Thompson statement out ahead of when this piece came out. And it looks like this piece went through some revisions after that because there's some stuff emphasized in this piece that doesn't seem to really fit with the rest of the piece. If you were looking at this as a story about Ted Thompson's health and how his declining health led the Packers to where they are today, I think that's a really solid piece. But if you're looking instead at a piece about how the Packers have a bad organizational structure and Ted Thompson's health is a part of that, I think that's a lot weaker. On top of that, other people have previously reported on this. Rob Domovsky had a nugget buried in a piece from a story he did in mid-2018 or so that basically reported that Russ Ball was making decisions for Ted Thompson during his last year as general manager, the last calendar year or so. And that led to things like Micah Hyde leaving without a contract offer. Julius Peppers leaving without a contract offer. Basically, Russ Ball was doing whatever he could to keep the Packers' cost down, and Thompson just didn't have the bandwidth to correct him or to sign off on moves in uh, one by one. I think if that had been the focus of this entire piece, we'd have been in business, but it's not, and so we've ended up a little bit off the rails. He moves into this section about transitioning to the silos that the Packers have said pretty publicly they've they've had issues with. Uh, He breaks down how Russ Ball didn't get the job of general manager. Basically, he was the front runner for the job. Mike McCarthy said, like heck he is, I won't work with this guy. And the Packers went in a different direction. That would be really exciting to learn about if it hadn't been done a year ago by Bob McGinn. Silverstein gives us this. Gutekunst, a source said, thought he had interviewed for the same job Thompson had, but when Murphy reached him on his way to a general manager's job interview in Houston, he offered a different job. Gutekunst would have final say on the 53-man roster, the draft, and free agency, but he would not have the power to hire or fire the coach or oversee all facets of the football operation. Gutekunst was taken aback, but took some time and eventually decided he wanted to stay in Green Bay. Part of the reason part of the reason might have been that he had a good working relationship with McCarthy and felt they could partner the way McCarthy and Thompson had. Again, we've heard this story before. Gutekunst has even talked about it himself. And like Ball, Gutekunst had the opportunity to not take the job, but he did anyway. Everything in this story that is supposed to come across like a damning detail of Mark Murphy or the Packers organization hinges on the idea that people are doing things they don't want to do. But Russ Ball is still here. Brian Gutekunst is still here. Those are two of the most important people in this organization. And they took jobs that they didn't have to take in circumstances that they didn't have to work in. That just seems like a a big blow to this piece. 
If anything, Murphy seems like a great uniter in this story. He got two really talented, highly regarded people to take jobs that they didn't necessarily want to take. Murphy is the hero there. Then he makes a big deal. And I won't read the full quote here because it kind of belabors the point. Uh, but he, he makes a big deal about how Rush Ball got the offer or the, got the title of director of football operations. And that made it look like Elliot Wolf was being stripped of responsibility because he was the director hyphen football operations. And then he left for a different job. Ron Wolf is mad, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's wrongheaded again. Because it's just an organizational quirk of the Packers to have two job titles that almost sound exactly the same. Director of football operations and director dash football operations. Yeah, it's weird, but if you're inside the building, you probably understand the difference straightforwardly enough. Ron Wolf has some objections to his son getting passed over a job. Boo-hoo, dude, get over it. I'm sorry. That's sad for you, but... It's not the first time he's been passed over for a GM job. He's been passed over for more ones than this one, and he passed on the chance to take a big promotion in Green Bay and essentially made what ended up being a lateral move to Cleveland. He's going to be a GM somewhere someday. But he is also the only one in this story who took his ball, not Russ, and went home. Brian Gutekunst didn't get the job that he apparently thought he was going to get. He still took the job in Green Bay. Rush Ball, same deal. He took the job that he was ultimately offered. Even Mike McCarthy, who pops up a couple times in this story, didn't get necessarily what he wanted. He could have left, too. He didn't. He decided to stay and work with the Packers. Finally, we've got the rest. And there's one anecdote in here that I think we need to deal with. It talks about Matt LaFleur not making all of the own decision, all of his own decisions on the coaching staff. The special teams uh, Coach Rizzi situation is the one that sticks out the most. That is a little bit weird. But if you take it in the scope of the entire rest of the power structure, it maybe is not entirely out of line. And maybe that's the one situation here where Murphy is overstepping a little bit. But other than Rizzi, were there really any other bumps in the road where it didn't seem like Lafleur was getting exactly the guy that he wanted? That, I think, can't be discounted either. So what do we make of all this? Well, like I said at the top, I think Tom Silverstein had an angle here. But I don't think that in itself is the problem. Reporters do this all the time. Good ones, especially ones that have been on a particular beat for a long, long time, get real good at weaving in, here's the story that you should know, with here's the story supported by the facts. Bob McGinn was a master at this. He remains a master at this if you get behind his paywall and read the stuff that he does. But I think it's ultimately the presentation of the piece that bothers me here. If you read between the lines on all of this, it seems pretty clear that almost all of these quotes are Silverstein's words. This is what he wanted people to tell him. And that's not, again, a problem in and of itself. But it's a problem when you don't show why any of those things are bad. If I was giving feedback on this, and a peek behind the curtain here, I, I judge student news competitions on an annual basis, a couple different ones. If this was a student piece, and it's not, and I don't pretend to be somebody who, who can tell Tom Silverstein how to do his business. He's done more in the world of Packers media than I ever will. 
But if this was a piece that was presented to me, just looking for feedback, here's what I, I would say. If you're not looking to do straight reporting here, if you didn't just have people who, you know, had the smoking gun, the the inside story on the Packers, Mark Murphy is secretly building this triumvirate of people who answer only to him. And I don't think that's the story here. Just write it as an opinion piece, but write it as like a super opinion piece. Here's a three-way, three ways that you could do that. First, use I. I used the phrase a voice from nowhere earlier. And I think that's a good thing to avoid here. Don't just pretend like this is something that came down from on high that you uncovered. Some secret knowledge that you were the only one who who was able to uncover. This is what you think. This is what Tom Silverstein thinks about the Packers' ownership structure. Again, I say that. It, it, pretend, it seems like they have an owner here a little bit. Uh, the Packers' management structure. This is what he thinks. This is his opinion. And that's not necessarily wrong. We just need to be upfront about what it is. Second, don't couch it in things like sources are saying this could be a problem. If you think the structure is going to be a problem, put that stake in the ground right here, right now. Lay out that it's going to be a problem for the Packers and then give us your reasons why. Say, the Packers are going down a dangerous road here, and here's why. They've got a guy who's overstepping his bounds and who's not qualified to make these decisions. They've got a a general manager who can't hire and fire his head coach if that's something that he decides he wants to do. They've got a power-hungry director of football operations, and they've got a head coach who's out over his skis. If you can demonstrate conclusively that those things are happening, you've got a real strong piece here. Silverstein doesn't, and I don't think his piece is very strong as a result. Finally, if there are concrete things you think are problems in the past that led us to here, use those to build your case to show why the Packers are in dire straits. Talk about Ted Thompson's health. Talk about Russ Ball being Russ Ball. Talk about how Matt LaFleur's assistant coach search was derailed by Mark Murphy. Those all seem like pretty relevant details to me, but we didn't really get to them as we could. I think there was a good piece here. I think maybe some circumstances outside Tom Silverstein's control undermined it a little bit, and we're left with something that just doesn't advance the conversation all that much. This all could still be a problem, and I've written about how Mark Murphy is on the hook for a lot of this stuff here, but it's not a problem yet. And even if it is, Silverstein's piece didn't demonstrate that. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to download. If you like what you heard, give us a review and a rating on iTunes. It'll help more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, the best way to do that is by donating a dollar per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or by buying one of our fine t-shirts or sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi, you can reach us at thepowersweep.com on Facebook or on Twitter or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Every step you take in any of those areas helps us continue our mission of helping more people become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.